Welcome to the podcast at the Hill. You are about to hear a message from Pastor Daniel Blalock entitled "Free Indeed" from our One series. Amen. If you have your Bible this morning, I want you to turn to First Corinthians thirteen, verse four. It's going to be our text today, and we're going to be talking about that kind of freedom that only Jesus brings. Amen. The kind of freedom that only Jesus brings. You know, sometimes freedom has a negative quality to it. You say, Pastor, what do you mean a negative quality? Well, when we talk about freedom, we often talk about the things that we are free to do. I want to talk to you this morning about things we are free not to do. Things that we don't have to do anymore because Jesus has made a difference in our hearts and our lives. I want to talk to you about some negative freedoms today. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, will be our text this morning. Amen? We want to talk about not just freedom to, but freedom from. Say freedom from. Freedom from some things that Jesus comes to offer us today. 1 Corinthians 13 and 4 will be our text. Pray with me as we begin there today. Father, we love you and we bless you. Thank you, Lord, for the ministry of this choir and orchestra and, and, and praise team and, and, and band. We just pray, God, today that you would bless us, lift our heart up, Lord, keep our eyes fixed on you, Lord Jesus, keep our hearts, Lord, fastened on you, and Lord, let us today hear what you'd have to say to us through your word, and we'll give you the blessing and the honor and the glory. Anoint me to preach it and open our hearts that we might receive from it in Jesus' strong name and God's people said. Amen. Give the Lord one more great hand of praise this morning. Amen. 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 1 Corinthians 13 and 4. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Would you read that with me one time? Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. Amen. During the 14th century, there was a, a, a leader, a duke in Belgium. His name was Reynald III. Reynald ruled sort of with an iron fist the area over which he was assigned. And he had a younger brother named Edward, and they did not get along. And one day it ended up in a very violent revolt. And Edward overthrew his brother and took over his land and his, his area of domain. When Edward captured Renal III, he built a room around him, and this room featured doors and windows that were open. And although everyone accused him of imprisoning his brother, the reality was his brother was quite free to come and go as he pleased. There was just one catch. You see, Renal III was a very large man. And the doors and windows around his quarters were very small. And Renal could not fit through the openings of the doors around his quarters. And yet his brother told him, you are free to leave whenever you would like to. And all you have to do is leave your room and come to my courtroom. And I will restore you to your power. And I will give you back your land and your authority. All you have to do is come anytime and ask me and I will completely restore you. But his brother knew and his brother knew that he could not control his appetite. And so every day, three times a day, Edward would send platters loaded down with the most delicious food to his brother Renal's quarters. And his brother would indulge and he would eat and he would have his fill. 
And instead of growing small enough to fit through the doorway and reclaim his domain, he actually grew larger and larger. For 10 years, Renald was held as a prisoner of his own appetite. It was not until Edward was actually defeated and killed in battle that some of his other friends came and broke him out of his prison by taking away and widening the door so he could exit. But by that point, Renal's health was so damaged and his body was so broken from all that he had done to himself by eating this scrumptious food that he died one year later from health-related problems. And we look at this man and we hear the story and realize here he is. He was a prisoner of his own appetite. And just as Renald III was enslaved by his appetite, you and I have to come to realize that sometimes exercising our freedom, as the world defines freedom, actually can lead us into more bondage than liberty. Amen? Hear me today, if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. And I want to tell you, real freedom is not the freedom just to do whatever we want to do, but it is the freedom not to do some things that would end up harming us, harming others, and bringing down the name of the Lord Jesus. In his daily devotional, This Day with the Master, uh, a great mentor of mine from a distance, Dr. Dennis Kinlaw, wrote about negative freedoms. And I remember reading that devotion and some things that he listed and thinking, wow, that is, a, that is an interesting idea. And, and as you begin to study God's Word, you realize that the freedom Jesus brings us is often not the freedom to do something. It is the freedom not to do something. It is a negative freedom. Say a negative freedom. I want to talk to you about four of those negative freedoms today from God's Word from the text that we just read together. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4. And the first one is freedom from myself. Say that with me. Freedom from myself. I want to tell you, we often think of freedom as being the ability to do whatever you want to do. And that real freedom is the, the ability to get away with having your own way all the time. Freedom is getting what you want, right? That's what we think of as freedom. I'm free to do whatever I want to do. Well, can I tell you today that if you live that way for very long, you will soon come to realize something. Self is a far more harsh taskmaster than any other you will ever serve. Our own self-will, our own self-interest is a harder taskmaster. He is a worse fellow to serve than anyone else you will ever bow the knee and submit your heart and your life to. We can become slaves of self and only Jesus can set us free from that kind of bondage. Years ago, hoping to enter into the cattle industry, a family from New York bought some land out west. And they bought their first group of cattle, and they were getting ready to go out and start their new family business together. The problem was, what were they going to name their ranch? And so they decided, we're going to talk about it as a family, and we'll come to a decision. Well, someone, one of their friends went to visit them one day and inquired about the name of the ranch. And the would-be rancher replied, well, I wanted to name the Bar J. My wife wanted to name it the Susie Q. One of our sons wanted to name it the Flying W, and my other son wanted to name it the Lazy Y. And they said, well, what did you end up deciding on? He said, well, we just put them all together, and we're going to call the ranch the Bar J, Susie Q, Flying W, Lazy Y. And he said, well, how's it going? Where are all your cattle? And he said, well, none of them survived the branding. <laughs> Laughter 
there is no greater slavery in life than being a slave to yourself. Having to get your own way or being the kind of person that feels like you have to strive and fight and try to get your own way all the time. Let me ask you as parents, how many of you raised that child? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You may have several, but that one who always had to have his or her way. Uh, I have a child like that. She shall remain nameless. <laughs> But Shay and I laugh on a daily basis because it's just an adventure with her, unlike any adventure we've had prior to. For instance, you can go to the refrigerator and you can say, uh, we have, for, for time to get something to drink, we say, well, we have, we, we have water and we have sweet tea, and that, well, that's what we've got for, for lunch. We've got water and we've got sweet tea. I, I want milk. Okay, this child has spotted the only other thing in the refrigerator than what we named, right? That's it. Uh, you go out to eat at a restaurant, it's the same way on the kids' menu. We can name everything. I, I, I want fries. I, I want this. I want that. This child is going to name the one thing you did not name. You can lay out three outfits on the bed and say, pick which one you're wearing to church, and she will walk past all three and go to the closet and pull down something that has nothing to do with what you decided. It is just this determination that I'm going to have it my way. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to do it, or I'm going to try hard to get my own way all the time. My only hope and prayer is that maybe about the third time through Church of God Youth Camp, Jesus will do something for her. Amen? I mean, really, all my hope at this point is just banked on the Lord. Uh, he's the only one who can get that out of us. Now, we can laugh, but you know, all of us have a streak of that in us. It's called the flesh. It's called the sinful nature, whatever term you want to translate that. But Paul is very clear to us that all of us are born with this tendency. We want our way. We want things the way we want them. We want to win. We want things to go our way. There's no greater slavery than in every situation having to get your own way. Men often tend to do this in relationships through intimidation. We get loud and we bark and we get gruff and we get angry and we try to get other people to kind of back up and let us have our way. Women often do this through manipulation, right? They have other tactics to be able to do that. It may be turning on the waterworks. It may be the silent treatment, the cold shoulder that drops the temperature lower than the air conditioner ever could in the room, right? We've all got our methods of trying to get our way, whether it's blowing up or getting quiet, and they're all the same. They're attempts to get our own way. And yet our text we read this morning says, Love does not seek its own. Say that with me. Love does not seek its own. Love isn't self-seeking. And so, in other words, if, if the love of God is ruling my heart and life, there will be a freedom from myself. A freedom to not have to get my own way all the time. I heard the story of a little woman who was shopping one day and she had quite an encounter you know but the Lord Jesus lets us be wrong enough times in life uh, that we ought to come to realize that getting our own way all the time really isn't a good thing anyway amen sometimes our way isn't the best thing this lady found this out on a shopping trip to Walmart she went and she came out from uh, her her trip and she had her arms loaded down with groceries and she walked up and approached her vehicle and there were four men sitting in the car 
And she panicked, and she put her bags down, and she rummaged in her purse, and she pulled out a gun almost as big as she was. And she shook it in the window, and she beat on the door, and she said, get out of the car, I've got a gun, and I'm not afraid to use it. Well, boy, these four guys did not wait on a second invitation. They jumped up, and they fled the car and ran through the parking lot. She loaded her groceries in the back seat. She sat down on the car. She pulled out her keys, and she slid them into the ignition. And no matter how she turned that key and which way she jammed it in, it would not crank that car. She looks down about four spaces from where she's sitting, and there's a car identical to the one that she's in, and it's her car. So she loads her groceries and very timidly drives down to the local police station and walks in to turn herself in and report what she has done. At this point, the sergeant who is on duty loses all composure and begins to laugh, and he just points down to the other end of the desk where there are four men describing a four-foot-eleven white-haired woman who just hijacked, carjacked them at the local Walmart. No charges were filed. All's well that ends well, right? Jesus lets me be wrong often enough that it ought to show me the last thing I need is to get my way all the time. Amen? Sometimes Jesus has to rescue us by thwarting our plans and running across the grain of what we desire and the way we want things to go. And he has to shipwreck our plans in order for his plans to happen. And his are always better. Say that with me. His are always better. And we have to trust God that if God has not given us what we want, it's because he is holding out to give us something even better than what we had in mind. But in the meantime, we have to trust him. And there is great freedom for us and great healing in our relationships with others if we're willing to trust God enough to surrender to his will. And if we're willing to love others enough occasionally to bow to their will and not seek our own and not have to have our own way all the time, but to let somebody else win on occasion and submit and let them have their way. Amen? We studied it last Sunday night, Ephesians 5.18. One of the signs, one of the marks that we are filled with the Spirit, verse 18, is verse 21. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. If I'm full of the Holy Spirit, one of the evidences of that will be I have the ability to submit to others. I don't have to have my way all the time. I'm able to let other people have input and I can go along with others on occasion. That's part of the reality. So real freedom involves freedom from myself. Say myself. Number two, let me give you another negative freedom Jesus longs to bring us. It's also found in verse four and it is freedom from appearance. Say appearance. Notice what he says here in this passage. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Love is not puffed up. I love that line. Love does not parade itself. It's not all about appearance. It's not all about the show. Love isn't look at me. Love doesn't have to be the center of attention. Love isn't always worried about how it appears to other people. Amen? I heard the story of a young attorney who started his practice and he was very ambitious to make a good first impression on the clients as they came in. He had just opened the business. In fact, they had not even connected his phone line yet and turned on his telephone service. And the first week in the office, he heard the bell jingle over the door and as the door opened, uh, he very quickly wanted to impress this new client, a potential guy coming in. So he picked up the phone and he put it to his ear and he said, yes, yes, absolutely. 
Most certainly. Well, I'm going to need those depositions by this Thursday. Yes, thank you very much. I'll have to get back with you. I have a new client who just walked in. Thank you. Good day. And he hung up the phone and he said, yes, sir, how may I help you? And the guy said, I'm with the telephone company. I'm here to connect your phone service. Sometimes we can be so worried about impressing other people, can't we? Uh, a little boy watched fascinated one night as his mother gently rubbed cold cream all over her face and said, well, Mommy, why are you rubbing that cold cream on your face? And she said, it's to make me beautiful. A few minutes later, he came back in to brush his teeth and she was taking the cold cream off her face and said, What's wrong, Mommy? Did you give up? <laughs> Appearance. Well, I've offended a lawyer, the lawyers and the ladies. Let me try one more. I heard the story of a zookeeper. Uh, this very famous zoo in town, and they were known for all of their multiplicity of various animals. And, but the budget got tight, and some of the animals began to get old and die, and they didn't have enough money to replace them. And so in order to save face and keep, every, keep up appearances, the zookeeper hired a man in a gorilla suit to pretend to be the gorilla in the gorilla exhibit. Well, he wasn't very convincing, but he was trying really hard. And one day when a group of people gathered around, he pulled out all the stops and he got too close to the edge of his, enc of his uh, encasement and he actually fell over into the neighboring exhibit, which happened to be an African lion exhibit. And all of a sudden the man began to panic and he began to scream and he began to holler and he thought he was going to die, and he really was, you know, beginning to cry out, going, help me, help me. And at that point, the lion leaned over and said, keep your mouth shut or you'll get us both fired. <laughs> Appearances. <laughs> can I tell you, just like we can be a slave to having to get our own way all the time, we can be a slave to having to look good all the time. Amen. And part of it is physical, yes. We, we, we want to put our best foot forward, and I understand that. But, you know, we can really carry the thing a little bit too far. Now, I, I'm all in favor of doing what we need to do to look good. Amen? As a friend of mine used to say, if the barn needs paint, then paint the barn. Amen? Glory to God. That's all right. But, but hear me. <laughs> there is a time and a place where we get to the point where, you know what, we become slaves to that. And we're unwilling to let anyone in to our lives unless we have everything looking just so perfectly. Some of us it's our appearance, some of us it's our property or our houses. We won't let anyone come into our home because everything isn't just so. And because of our slavery to appearance, we actually cost ourselves in friendship and time that we could be spending with our family and other people that would love to spend with us because of that. Sometimes it goes even deeper still, and we actually begin to push people out of our lives because we have this drive to impress others. We want to impress people all the time. We feel like we have to keep a mask on. No matter uh, what, we have to come out looking better than anyone else. We have to always look good. We always have to win. We refuse to lose in front of other people. We can't take a joke if the joke's on us. We, we can never relax and let down the guard. Again, have you ever been around somebody like that? Don't look at your spouse. Look straight ahead at me. It's difficult to live with someone who is a captive to appearance. They have to keep appear appearances all the time. They can never just relax and get comfortable enough in their own skin, flaws and all, to let down their guard and just enjoy life 
and enjoy relationship with other people and realize that none of us is perfect and all of us have areas of improvement and all of us it's okay just to relax and be ourselves what bondage it is for us and for everyone around us when we have to look good at every social engagement when we have to come out on top in every situation how often we destroy priceless relationships and damage lifelong friendships because we have to keep up appearances we are thinking of ourselves and we ought to be forgetting about ourselves. You see, the Lord Jesus can set us free. We follow the Lord Jesus. And the Bible says of Jesus, he made himself of no reputation. Say no reputation. Now, should we be concerned about our reputation? Well, we don't want to have a bad reputation. We don't want to have a name that is tarnished. We don't want to have a reputation of being a person of, of poor character because that would detract from our Christian witness. That would bring down the name of Jesus. So to that degree, yes, we don't want a bad reputation. But can I tell you that the aspiration of a Christian, I think, ought to be to have no reputation at all. What do you mean? We live our lives so focused on Jesus and so focused on others that whenever people think of us, they don't think of us at all. Amen. They think of the Lord Jesus. They think of the other people that we serve. They think of the good work that we do in his name. They think about something other than us. Amen. Uh, there are names that just get associated with things that are beyond themselves. Amen. When I say Mother Teresa... What do you think of? You don't think of a little four foot eight woman in Calcutta. You think of what? Social work, feeding the hungry, taking care of the poor, taking care of those that are sick, comforting the dying. She immediately, the mention of her name ties your mind to something that is much bigger and really much more beautiful than she is as a person, as beautiful as she is, not physically, but all the good work that she's done has made her a beautiful person in the world that we live in today. That's what I mean. No reputation of her own, not about her own work, not about her own agenda, not about keeping up appearances, about the work to which Christ had called her to be and to do. To be of no reputation. Love does not boast. Love is not proud, our text said this morning. Jesus can set us free from having to have the last word, the freedom to not have to win in every situation, free to lose without losing my self-respect. For some of us as guys, this appearances is not about our physical appearance, but it is about our image, our image in the workplace, our image in the world. Uh, are we respected? Are we revered? Uh, do, do people look to us in the company? Do people look to us in the industry where we work? How do they feel about us in that regard? Am I leaving my mark in the world? And that can become a trap for us and a snare for us if we're not careful. Amen? We can get so caught up in appearances that things go poorly for us. Jesus can set us free from that. C.S. Lewis once said, humility is not thinking less of ourselves. It's just thinking of ourselves less. The focus moving from ourselves to Jesus and the work to which he's called us. This is a freedom only Jesus can bring to a man or woman's life. Freedom from myself. Say myself. Freedom from appearance. Say appearance. Let me give you a third one. Freedom not to defend myself. Freedom not to defend myself. Whenever we are contradicted or we are accused of something or someone points out something in our life that they don't like or that isn't quite right, what is our immediate, our immediate sense to do? 
to defend ourselves, right? To speak in our own defense, to step up and say, well, let me explain. And we offer a reason or at least a good excuse to defend ourselves from the charge that is against us. But there's a glorious freedom from the brave few souls who trust God enough to place their reputation and their futures and their lives in the hands of Jesus. We can get in trouble defending ourselves. Amen. Uh, years ago, there was a, an officer who, who was gathered together with a large group of army officials for an officer's and wives' tea. And at the front of the room that night, uh, the commanding general was speaking to all the troops and their spouses who were gathered. He was droning on and on and on and giving this long speech and everyone was sort of ready to move on to the main event, which was the supper that was about to be served. And one lieutenant came up and slid into a seat next to this lady and he leaned over and said, can you believe this guy? I just can't believe how he's droning on. You know, I know him. He is an insufferable, ignorant blowhard. Do you know this guy? And the lady turned red, and she looked over at him, and she said, Do you know who I am? That man that you're talking about happens to be my husband. He turned white as a sheet, and he said, Ma'am, do you know who I am? And she said, No, I don't have a clue who you are. He said, Good, and got up and ran out of the room. <laughs> Sometimes we just feel the need to defend ourselves, right? Have you ever been misunderstood? You ever been criticized? You ever been falsely accused? Have you ever been attacked? Have you ever done something that genuinely was wrong, but you didn't think it was that big of a deal? And have someone, I mean, just jump on top of the error and make a bigger deal out of it than was warranted and really just added insult to injury and made you feel worse than you already felt? We quickly rush to give an alibi or at least come up with a good excuse. Our instinct is to defend ourselves. But let me ask you today, who is the freer person? The person who rushes to the defense or the person who is secure enough in their relationship with God to say, just because I failed doesn't mean that I'm a failure. And just because I made a mistake doesn't mean that I'm unworthy of God's love or the position to which he's called me in life or in ministry. And I'm willing to own what I did and move forward and keep plugging for his sake. Who's freer? I think the latter is freer. Free enough to stay quiet. During the Civil War, someone uh, reported to Abraham Lincoln that Edwin Stanton, one of the president's cabinet members, had made a statement about him. And they said, Mr. Lincoln, are you aware that in a recent dinner engagement, Mr. Stanton referred to you as a fool? President Lincoln replied, well, I must check into that, for I have found that Mr. Stanton is usually correct in his judgments. Wow. What humility. And what a way to diffuse someone who came to drive a wedge between him and members of his own team. He didn't allow it to happen. If he'd rushed to the defense, he could have created quite a storm. But he didn't feel the need to have to defend himself all the time. Declining to speak on our own behalf requires much greater freedom and power and mastery over our emotions and our tongue than to act on the impulse to defend ourselves and even go on the attack against the person who spoke negatively to us. But again, this is the example of the Lord Jesus, is it not? Isaiah 53, verse 7, we quote it every Easter. He was oppressed and afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. Again, so he opened not his mouth. 
How much better would many of our lives and relationships be if we could adopt that one little line, and he opened not his mouth? <laughs> wow. It's better to be thought a fool, amen, than to open your mouth and remove all doubt, right? Amen. Sometimes the silent route is the best route. One of my favorite poems is a poem by Rudyard Kipling. It's called If. He lists all these things if you can do them and says, if you can do these, then you'll be a man, my son. Well, I found a different poem this week named If. It's not by Rudyard Kipling. In fact, I'm not sure who wrote it, but I thought it was pretty good. If you can be cheerful, ignoring aches and pains. If you can resist complaining. If you can eat the same food every day and be grateful for it. If you can understand when your loved ones are too busy to give you any time. If you can overlook it when you love uh, when those who love you take it out on you, and when through no fault of yours something goes wrong, if you can take criticism and blame without resentment, if you can ignore a friend's limited education and never correct him, if you can resist treating a rich friend better than a poor friend, if you can face the world without lies and deceit, if you can conquer tension without medical help, if you can sleep without the aid of drugs, then, my friend, you almost will have reached the same level of development as your dog. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how much better life would be if we could let things roll off our back as easily as our dog does? Amen? Freedom from appearance, freedom from having to get our own way all the time, freedom not to defend myself, in every situation. How much richer our marriages and friendships would be if we had that kind of freedom. Uh, I think about Winston Churchill's famous phrase back during uh, the war when he said, we shall fight on the beaches, we shall fight on the landing grounds, we shall fight in the fields and in the streets, and we shall fight in the hills. And I thought, sounds like most family vacations, doesn't it? <laughs> because we feel the need to rush to our own defense whenever someone says anything. Some of us would do well to learn from a different leader, military leader, General Patton. Years ago, I learned a phrase that has saved my life on many occasions, saved my ministry on more than one, saved my marriage probably more than I could count, and it's this simple phrase. Guys, you should write it down somewhere where you can read it often. General Patton, I learned it from Raymond Culpepper. He shared it at a pastor's conference, and I've never forgotten these words. General Patton said famously during World War II, I will fight no battle where I gain no ground by winning. I will fight no battle where I gain no ground by winning. Some of us, this impulse to defend shows up in the very fact that we live in a constant argument. We're always in a quarrel. We're always fighting somebody or something. And let me ask you at the end of the day, what do you win? Can I tell you when it comes to marriage and relationships, no one wins a fight. Say that with me. No one wins a fight. You may win the argument, but you will lose the relationship. Nobody wins a fight. And so make it your motto, I will fight no battles where I gain no ground by winning. What do you get if you win? What's the prize? A cookie? Well, your wife isn't going to cook the cookie, I can tell you that. Amen. <laughs> We have to learn sometimes to let Jesus set us free from the impulse to not defend ourselves all the time. You know, oftentimes, uh, if we will stop and get alone and allow the initial sting of what someone said wear off of us, and we'll get by ourselves and get alone with the Holy Spirit, oftentimes the Holy Spirit will tell us, well, maybe they were a little bit harsh, but you know, there is a grain of truth in what they said to you. Wow. 
I once heard that no man's advice is entirely useless. Even a stopped clock is right twice a day. Amen. If people keep saying the same thing to us over and over, maybe we should stop defending and start listening and get alone with the Lord and say, Lord, is there any truth? Is there a blind spot in me that you're trying to show me through the people who are around me? Amen? Freedom from defense. Amen? And finally, let me give you one more before we go enjoy our 4th of July weekend and tank up on barbecue and ribs. The fourth freedom Jesus wants to give each of us is the freedom to be different. Say that with me. The freedom to be different. If there was anyone who was out of step with the rest of the world, it was the Lord Jesus. If there was anyone who did not fit the mold of what anyone around him expected him to do or be, it was the Lord Jesus. And he has given us an example and invited us to follow in his steps. If that is true, then why are we such cookie-cutter molds of everyone around us? Amen. God made us uniquely. God made us individuals. And somehow we allowed the pressure of life to squeeze us into the mold and make us like everyone else around us. And we lose the unique contribution that Jesus has for us to offer into the world. Amen? It's okay to be different. It's okay to be who we are. Some primary age children came to their uh, kindergarten class one day. And the teacher invited them for show and tell. And asked them to talk a little bit about their religious background. Well, the first little boy stepped up and said, My name is Benjamin and I am Jewish. And this is a star of and everyone clapped and he took his seat. The next little girl's name was Mary and she stepped up and she held up a rosary and she said, I'm Roman Catholic and this is a rosary. This is a very important symbol in my religion. Well, not to be outdone, the third little boy stepped up. His name was Johnny. And Johnny reached in his bag and pulled out a covered dish and said, I'm a Baptist and this is a casserole. <laughs> it's okay to be different, amen? Don't laugh too hard. The Church of God boy walked in with a bottle of oil and nobody knew what he was there for, right? Amen. Amen. It's okay to be different. It's okay to march to the beat of a different drummer. I heard one man say, few things upset my wife. It makes me feel rather special to be one of them. <laughs> when Christian Hurtner was governor of Massachusetts, he was running hard for a second term in office. So he hit the campaign trail and decided his best bet was to go directly to the people and meet as many of them as he could before the upcoming election. Well, the Saturday before the election, he was in one town and he happened on a city park where there were lots of people gathered and he thought, what a great opportunity. What he didn't realize at first was that it was a church fundraiser and they were selling grilled chicken plates and they were raising money for an upcoming event at their church. And so he went and was shaking hands with everyone, meeting everyone, and he decided it would be a good show if he would uh, you know, get in line and support the church. Plus he was famished from having been out here all day in the heat. So he comes through the line and he meets the lady who's serving and she puts one piece of chicken on his plate. And he is to move down the line and he stops and says, Ma'am, I've been at her all day, and I'm extremely hungry. Could I please have another piece of chicken? And she said, I'm sorry, sir. It's limit one per customer. We have lots of orders to fill today, and there won't be enough if I give, start giving people two pieces. And he was not a man who was prone to do this. He was a pretty quiet man. But Governor Hurtner leaned in and said, Ma'am, do you know who I am? Ma'am, I'm the governor of this state. Could I please have another piece of chicken? At which point she put her hands on her hip, adjusted her hairnet, her hairnet, and said, Sir, do you know who I am? I'm the lady in charge of the chicken. It's one per customer. Please move along. 
It's okay not to be intimidated by other people who want to force you into their mold. Amen? It's okay to have the freedom to be who God made us to be. I, I will never forget one time whenever I was driving home from preaching a revival. I was a young preacher. I was probably about 17 or 18 years old. And I pulled in. I can take you to the spot on the road where I was turning in. And I had preached that night. And I thought I'd done my best and everything. And, you know, and I, I remember turning in. And I remember asking the Lord, Holy Spirit, how do you feel about the service tonight? How do you feel about my preaching tonight? And I will never forget what the Holy Spirit said to me. In that moment, it cut me to the core. And the Holy Spirit said, Daniel, I've already got a Rod Parsley. I would like a Daniel Blaylock if it's all the same to you. And from that night to this, I determined that whenever I take the pulpit, I'm just going to be me. Because the Lord doesn't have another me. And the Lord's able to use me, and he's able to put me where he wants me, and that be a blessing to somebody. And every one of us have got to come to the place in Jesus where we're comfortable enough in our own skin to go, God made me. He wired me the way I'm wired. He put me together the way he put me together. Some of us say, yeah, but you don't know the past that I've been through. Listen, dear heart, God knows the past that you've been through. And God's able to redeem all those experiences of yesterday. And he's able to weave those in and make them part of your story. We oftentimes think it's going to be our strengths that connect with other people. It isn't. It's your weaknesses that connect with other people. We admire people because of their strengths, but we connect with one another over our weak places. It is those places where we can look at someone and find empathy that draws us together in relationship. When you can look at someone and feel their pain and know because you've been in their shoes to a certain degree. That's what draws people together and connects them. Don't be afraid of your broken places. Don't be afraid of your scars. Don't be afraid of your wounds. Don't be ashamed of your story or your baggage or the things from back there in the past. Be free to be who God made you to be. It's okay to be a work in progress. We all are. It's okay to be in the process of becoming what God is making you to be. That's the journey that we're on. When you get done with that journey, God will let you know and God will let all of us know. Amen? We'll know because we celebrated your homegoing. But if you're still here, you're still in progress, and God is still working on you, amen? And it's okay to be where you are. It's not okay to get stuck where you are, but it's okay to be moving and growing and progressing and be able to say, I'm not there yet. You know who else said that? St. Paul said that. I have not attained. I have not laid hold of it. I have not achieved. I have not grabbed hold of everything that God has for me to grab. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and pressing forward to the mark of the high call of God in Christ Jesus. I do that so that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. That's the pursuit. But it's okay in the meantime to be who we are. Amen? Have you ever known the bondage of being in a group and having to do something you didn't want to do because you were afraid of not pleasing the crowd? Like Peter warming himself by the fire and he denies that he knows the Lord because of his fear and because his courage fails in that moment. I'm reminded of the three Hebrew children in the Old Testament who took the opposite approach, right? And when everyone around them was bowing down to a false god, and when everyone else was listening to the world's song and singing the world's music and bowing down to the image, these three young men stood flat-footed and said, The God whom we serve is able to deliver us. And whether by life or death, he will deliver us. But even if he doesn't bring us through this alive, we still won't serve your God. We're going to keep our God. Wow. 
And it was not the way they blended in. It was the way they stood out that became their testimony. And that day, by the end of the day, there was the decree that there is no God but their God. It's okay to stand. It's okay to stand. To look the world in the face and to choose to do what is right regardless of the consequences. We can never be free until we're free enough to be different from the people around us. And obey God and do what God has called us to do and to be ourselves. Amen? Amen. As I close today, I want to tell you, he that the sun sets free is free indeed. We really can live our lives free in Jesus. Pastor, how does that happen? Ironically, and this may be the greatest, the greatest mystery of the entire message today, it's simply this. Freedom comes by surrender. Say that with me. Freedom comes by surrender. We don't find the freedom that I've described today by fighting. We find the freedom that I've talked about today by letting go. By surrendering to the Lord Jesus. Surrendering to the God who made us. The God who has a plan for our lives. The God who has a calling and a purpose for us. The God who designed us and the only one who knows really why he put us here and what he put inside of us and what good he intends us to do while we're on this journey. You say, I don't know if I believe that about myself or not. Well, I believe it about you. It's God's Word. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says that whenever you were saved, there were good works which God ordained before He ever saved you that you were supposed to walk in. There are things you're supposed to accomplish before you die. There are good works you're supposed to achieve. There is an assignment that you have from the Lord that is uniquely, individually just yours. There's a job description nobody else can do as well as you because God put your name on that position. And you were ordained by God. He saved you and he made you his child. He brought you into his family freely by his grace in order for you to be able to discover that and execute it and do what God called you to do. But you'll never be able to follow through on that until you let Jesus set you free. Free from self, from having to get my own way all the time, free enough to surrender to Jesus and say, I'm willing to do what you want me to do. Free from appearance. Freedom to be able to say, I'm not worried about what other people think. I'm not going to be a slave to other people's opinion of myself. As long as the Lord has accepted me and he has set his love on me and he is pleased with me, that's enough for me. My security is in Jesus. It is not in the opinions of others. I can move ahead in my life. The freedom from appearance. The freedom to not have to defend myself. It doesn't matter if other people like or don't like. If they understand or misunderstand. At the end of the day, I'll not stand in front of a jury of my peers. I'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And I'll give an account to him for the things done in the body. Whether they be good or whether they be bad. 2 Corinthians 5 says. And finally, the freedom to be my Self, the freedom to understand that I am who God made me to be and I don't have to compare myself to anybody else because there isn't another version of me out there. Amen. You can be free in Jesus today. And I want to tell you, if you can allow Jesus to unlock your heart and set you free in these ways, you really will have a happy Independence Day. Amen. Amen. I want you to stand with me all over the house. As Chad plays for us for just a moment. I mentioned my dear friend Dr. Dennis Kinlaw a moment ago. He tells a story when he was in Bible college of God confronting him in his dorm room one night and saying, are you willing to let me take your life and spend it any way I please? And Dennis Kinlaw said, I replied, Lord, what are you going to do in my life? <laughs> and the Lord responded, you don't trust me, do you, Dennis? 
He said, well, Lord, it's not that I don't trust you, but it would help me if you would tell me what you plan to do with my life. And the Lord said, no, I won't tell you. I'm not going to give you a map, Dennis, of the next 30 years, 40 years of your life. I'm not going to do it. I'm asking you to surrender to me. I'm asking you to trust me. And if you'll do that, moment by moment, step by step, hand in hand, we will walk into the future that I have for you. But that's the only way that I'll do it. I'm asking you now to make a full surrender of your heart to me. He said, I knew I would never enjoy full freedom until I could look God in the face and say, God, you can do what you want with me. He said, so I tried to look him in the face and give myself to him fully. What is that on the corner of your life, God asked. And Dennis said, Lord, that's my thumb. Can't I leave at least one finger on my life? And he said, no, Dennis, not even one finger. I want you to make a complete surrender to me. He said, and I tried to remove that one finger from my life as hard as I could, and I couldn't get that one thumb to come off. And I finally looked up at the Lord and said, Lord, can you take that thumb off my life? And he said, if you let me crack it hard enough and long enough, yes, I can. <laughs> he said, then, Lord, get to cracking. He said, in the next moment, I found myself not kneeling, but flat on my face before the Lord. And the Lord had begun the work in me of setting me free. In the church of God, we call that a moment of sanctifying grace. You say, no, wait a minute, Pastor. I believe sanctifying, you're sanctified as a process all the way through life. Yes. But you're saying that it's a moment. Yes. Well, don't those two things contradict each other? No, not at all. Sanctification is not the moment when all my issues get dealt with. That's a process. That's going to take the rest of your life. Sanctification is the moment when by the power of the Holy Spirit, God enables me to look up at him and say, Lord, if you will give me the grace, I won't fight you about anything anymore. I won't make excuses for anything you show me about myself. I won't argue with you. I won't resist you about your plans or your purposes. I surrender my life to you. I don't even know all that that's going to mean, but I know that you will unpack the bag for me as we go on the journey together. So is sanctification a moment? Yes, it's a moment that you surrender. Is it a process? Yes. The rest of your life, God will be filling in the list going, you know that when you surrendered to me, <laughs> did you mean this? Yes, Lord, I meant that. You can have that too. And then two years later, well, did you mean this? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I meant that too. Is it a process? You better believe it is. But the process begins with a moment of us coming clean before God and saying, I surrender to you. I give my heart fully. Pastor, doesn't it happen when we get saved? I don't think it does. Most of us don't know enough about how broken and messed up we are when we get saved. I had to be a Christian a good little while before I realized just how deep the stain went in my own heart. How broken I really was. And there comes another moment for most of us beyond our conversion where the Holy Spirit taps us on the shoulder and says, everything Yes or no? Now I want to ask you today two questions. Have you been set free from sin? Number one, are you saved? Has God forgiven your sin and made you a new person? And if not, I wish you'd come and pray to receive Jesus today. But if he has, I've got a second question for you. Have you been set free from self? Do you enjoy the kind of freedom I preached about this morning? Freedom to relax in the arms of God and know that he's got you and that your security is in him. And you can trust him with anything. From the deepest part of your heart to the farthest moment of your future, can you trust him?
Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray today, if there's one in this room who is not right with you, that today would be the day whenever they trust Jesus and open their heart and for the very first time invite him in and meet him as Lord and Savior. And Lord, I pray today if there's a Christian in this room today who says, Pastor, I'm a believer and I've walked with the Lord for some time, but you know what? I don't enjoy the kind of freedom you've talked about today. I, I'm loaded down with fear and anxiety and I live my life a slave to having my own way and worrying about what other people think about me and I just don't ever seem to walk in that kind of freedom where I just rest in the acceptance of Jesus and, and, and I'm trusting him to call the shots in my life and, and I'm allowing him to gently point out the things in my heart that need to be changed and the areas I need to grow in and I don't feel like I have to justify or defend or, or argue when he does that to me even when someone else lovingly points that out to me. Pastor, the Lord has freed my heart, and I can trust him. If you're not there today, I wish today you would begin the journey of saying, Lord Jesus, with all the grace you give me, I'm going to surrender everything to you. Will you pray that prayer? Lord, in Jesus' name, will you open the hearts of your people? Will you move and touch them? Will you draw them today into a deeper surrender so that they might know a fuller freedom after this morning in Jesus name amen Jack can we sing a chorus I surrender all let's sing that today the altar's open if you need to come if not the song will be our prayer before we go lift your heart up to the Lord today let's sing to him today thank you for listening to our podcast at the hill we pray that you were blessed by this message for more information on what's happening at the hill and to stay connected visit our website at forcehillcog.org Join our Facebook page, facebook.com slash forcehillcog, or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play Store.